We've got some really exciting news this morning. Those of you who have uh, been following along with us through the book of Ezekiel, we've got a good word coming out of Ezekiel uh, today. And there's been, of course, many, many glimpses and glimmers of of good things as we've gone along. But today we are really going to begin to see uh, the tide and the sort of uh, tone, if you will, of the message of Ezekiel turn. It's going to make a dramatic change today. And, and quite frankly, it's, it's these moments and more to come that are a big part of the reason why I, I think God has us in this book right now. That though it's hard and there's uh, difficulties and challenges facing us, there is promise of better things coming. And we're going to begin to see that uh, in our reading before us today. So I'm going to invite Aaron Lorette. Uh, to read out of Ezekiel uh, chapter 34 for us. And uh, fairly long reading, comparable to last week. So uh, thank you, Aaron, for being willing to dive in, brother. He's really a big fan of these big readings, isn't he? All right, Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For for thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is amongst his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered, on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabitable places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. 
I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture, and to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with your side and shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season, and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall, ye- trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break... The bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. Good job, Aaron. Thank you, brother. All right. We've got all this gobbledygook up here. Well, last week we looked at Ezekiel 33, and I know uh, not all of you were present, and that's okay, Um, but just to give you a really quick snapshot of what happened there, basically a fugitive had uh, broken away from Jerusalem. Now, we don't know if this was an individual alone kind of making his way to Babylon, or if he had come with a a recent band of of exiles that were taken into captivity, another uh, group, we're not sure, but he makes his way, this fugitive, to Jerusalem, or to, sorry, to Babylon, leaving Jerusalem, and makes his way to Ezekiel and shares with him the devastating news that what Ezekiel and Jeremiah had been saying for years now had actually come to pass that Jerusalem had been struck down and had fallen. And this is, without a doubt, without a doubt, the greatest catastrophe in Israel's history up to this point. 
God had promised Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the man of faith, had promised them this land, this place called Canaan, the land of Israel. And he had made promises to David that from his body would come an unending line of kings that would sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem was the temple where God's presence dwelled. And that's where the priests conducted the ritual ceremonies that were at the heart of Israel's worship. And after 500 years of this arrangement, the city fell in 587 B.C. to Babylon. After 500 years, the city lay in ruins. It was all destroyed. All these blessings, these things that had been promised and given to the people had come to an end. Or at least it appeared to the Jewish nation at that time. Well, sometime after that event, a little book was written by the prophet Jeremiah to describe the pain of this moment, the pain of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. That book we know in our Bibles as the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. In the Hebrew Bible, the book has the simple title, How, the word How, Echa in Hebrew. This is the first word in the book, and it starts three of the five chapters of this little book, to emphasize how great the suffering of Jerusalem and its people had been. I'm going to read you just a few excerpts from the first few chapters of Lamentations, and you're going to see that it actually describes exactly, we're not going to go through all the details, so maybe you won't see it from these few clips, but if you were to read the whole book of Lamentations, the five chapters there, you're going to see that it actually describes what we've been hearing Ezekiel and Jeremiah and others predict happening in Jerusalem and in the land of Judah. So just a few clips here um, out of of Lamentations. I've got three uh, verses that I want to quickly read for you. The very first verse out of the book says this, how lonely, there's that word how, how lonely sits the people or sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations, she who was A princess among the provinces has become a slave. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. So Jerusalem is sort of likened to a widow that's just been bereaved and describing all the pains that uh, you might go through in that situation and more. Um, But you can just feel the agony of, of this moment for the people over Jerusalem. But one interesting thing that we see in the book of Lamentations is the impact of the pain they're experiencing. You begin to see the impact. All along, the people have recognized that these events were sent by God, right? Right there and even Lamentations, right? The Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. And Ezekiel's been saying this. Jeremiah's been saying it. These things come from God, God was behind this. But if you'll remember last week, 
Again, just to give a little snapshot of some of what we talked about last week. Last week we saw how the people said that God was unjust in sending these misfortunes upon the people. They were complaining and saying, you're not doing justice, God. We don't deserve this kind of thing. And spinning and twisting the words of God and the judgments of God. They were coming up with clever explanations about why they thought they didn't deserve these things uh, to be happening to them. But when we look at the book of Lamentations, we see a change. We begin to see something stirring. Perhaps the author writes the book some years after the fall. There's kind of a debate about exactly when the book of Lamentations was was written. But maybe there's been some time, right, to reflect and ponder a bit on these things. And so the book is written with uh, some thought and, uh, and after some changes uh, taken place. But when you read it, you begin to really see the evidence of repentance. We begin to see the impact of God's decree of judgment upon Jerusalem. For example, near the end of chapter 1, we read these words. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Now listen to this. But the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. The Lord is in the right. No longer is it, you're unjust, God. How can you do this? No, you are right, God. This is exactly what we deserve. Instead of accusations, we find agreement. The Lord is in the right, now they say. What has happened to us is just. Something's beginning to change. And then halfway into the book, there's a significant turn. A ray of hope where we begin to see that even in the midst of black circumstances, in the midst of hopelessness, there is some light if we look to God. Chapter 3, verses 21 and following of Lamentations read this way. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Some of y'all know that song, right? New every morning. Great is your faithfulness, it says. It's right out of Lamentations. And it goes on. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. There's a turn. Anyway, we're going to begin to to see and hear uh, similar notes of hope. Anyways, I, I hope from Ezekiel as well the fall of jerusalem a horrifically terrible thing is not the end for israel in chapter 34 this morning we're going to really begin to see i think that god has a good plan for his people and even in their disobedience and judgment that has not changed god's good plan like a fold of sheep they've been scattered by wolves but the good faithful shepherd will seek them out and will rescue them. This is the message of chapter 34 of Ezekiel. And while this passage in context applies uh, first and foremost, I believe, to the Jewish people, those natural descendants of Abraham, those are the ones in view here, there are certainly promises here for us as well, which we're going to see as we get to the end of of the sermon uh, this morning. That this has everything to do with us as well. So here's the big idea I want to try and get across this morning. If we are truly the Lord's sheep, 
if we are truly the sheep of his pasture, then we must be confident that he will care for his flock in all circumstances, even in dark, difficult, black, uh, you know, hopeless, seemingly lost kinds of circumstances. God will care for his flock. But before we dive in to the to the three points I've got for us this morning, let's quickly get a bit of of background about what's going on uh, right here. The oracle that Ezekiel is given, so this word from God that Ezekiel is given, begins with a scathing rebuke of the leaders or the shepherds of Israel. We've seen this before. Uh, it's not the first time that God has spoken to uh, to the shepherds or the leaders and priests of of Israel. But if you look at verses 1 and 2 there, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? It goes on to describe all the various failures of the shepherds. It says the sheep go hungry while the shepherds shepherds stuff themselves. The weak have not been strengthened. The sick have not been ministered to. Those who are straying have not been brought back. The lost have not even been sought out. And the people have been ruled with great harshness. As a result, they've been scattered and the wolves are feeding upon the sheep. One of the implications of this passage, there's a lot of things we could say about this, but one of the implications of this passage is that God gives shepherds to lead a sheep as a blessing and gift. Yet sadly, so often, faithful shepherds are resisted. Faithful shepherds are ridiculed. Sometimes a shepherd's own flock can ridicule their pastor shepherd even more than the outsiders do. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. For tripping our leaders up, it's going to be hard for them to lead, is it not? Pastors, leaders, shepherds are a gift to the people of God, given by God for the good of his people. Yet what we also see here in Ezekiel is shepherds can also do profound damage when they are not walking with God or fail to speak the truth. Right. It's a sad truth today that there are many, 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 many false shepherds out there. One of the classic marks of a false teacher, a bad shepherd, is cultural accommodation. This is a classic mark of a false bad shepherd. When the teacher suddenly says things that more and more and more sound just like the world. I don't have to come in here to hear that message. I can hear it out there. Classic mark of a false shepherd. When the teacher's teachings never challenge worldly or cultural thinking, you should be concerned. When the teacher is never calling out the sheep for their sin or never confessing their own sin, you should be concerned. In the early chapters of Lamentations, as the people begin to realize that the Lord is in the right and that he has dealt justly with them, you begin to read things like this. Listen here. <clears throat> Your prophets have seen for you false 
and deceptive visions. They've not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes. But have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. Do you hear that? After the death blow is dealt to Jerusalem, suddenly you have a recognition that the false prophets were just tickling their ears. The people they were listening to all along. Oh, now we get it. We were being deceived and we were buying into it for decade upon decade upon decade. And then judgment comes and suddenly the lights go on. Oh, they were lying to us. They were not speaking truth to us. There was never a word of caution Never an alarm or rebuke coming from the shepherd. There was never an effort to expose the sins of the people. It was just all as well. Right? And we've seen this as we've gone through Ezekiel that false shepherds were doing this. Never giving alarm or caution to the people. And this is most certainly one of the reasons that the Jewish people are in the terrible position that they are in here in Ezekiel's day. False, ungodly shepherds. And it's one of the reasons that the church in the West and in America and in Europe is a disaster today. There are false shepherds everywhere. What a mess the church is. Because so many are just an echo of everything that you hear right out there on the town square. And that is not the role of the shepherd. The shepherd is to warn, to alarm, to give caution To say, this is God's way. Walk in it, not that way. False shepherds are leading so many people astray in our world today. But what we are going to see, this is where we get into the hope. What we're going to see from this beautiful passage here in Ezekiel 34 is that even though the shepherds have not been faithful, God is faithful. And God is so committed to his people that he says here in our passage that all the the things that the false uh, teachers and the shepherds fail to do, he says, it's okay, I'm going to do it. So what we're going to see is that God is going to rescue his sheep and provide all that they need in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances you can possibly imagine. And the first thing we'll see is this, that God will care for his flock in times of confusion. In times of confusion. That's point number one. This was a confusing time for the Jewish people. Verses 1 through 10 describe for us an incredibly confusing time. We won't reread that section there. But much like our own time, there were different voices saying different things. And then you've got war in the backdrop and poverty and scarcity and all this stuff in the backdrop. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Man, that sounds like today. It sounds like today. Maybe you've heard, but there's a new AI tech out there, some artificial intelligence technology that's actually being used to make what is being called deep fakes of people now. Deep fakes. So there's apps, actually. I think you and I could probably get one. I don't know if it costs anything. I was kind of exploring this earlier in the week to see and didn't get real far. It just felt, it felt dangerous to me. I'm like, I'm not going to play with this stuff. But there's apps where you can create voiceovers of well-known people saying anything you want them to say. And it looks like they're saying it. 
I've actually seen a number of important world leaders out there saying that there is AI generated clips of them saying this or saying that, which are complete fabrications. These are world leaders. This is the kind of stuff that leads people to go to war over things that weren't even said. And these fabrications are convincing. I watched a few of them earlier in the week. You, you can't tell. Is it true? Is it false? Did they say it? Did they not? Looks like they're at some big gathering with all these people and they're saying this stuff. It's very difficult to tell. Talk about confusion. Talk about a mess. A soup of deceit and mess. In such an environment, how do you know right from wrong? How do you know what is truth? Well, I'm going to say, if you're listening to the television or the newspaper for your moral compass, you will never know the truth today. In fact, you will likely only be led away from the truth. Maybe there'll be little glimmers or half-truths or granules of sand that are believable enough to hook people, but you're not going to find plain, straightforward truth. The only way to know the truth is to know the one upon whom all truth is built, namely God. Yes, and God does speak through nature. There is a thing called natural theology. We can know some things about God through the creation, but if you don't know Him, you will still be misled. You will only get a partial vision, a truncated vision of things. Knowing God is the only way to have any sense of real confident direction in this confusing hour. And, good news, God has spoken. God has spoken to us in His perfect Word in the Scriptures. And this is why when we gather on Sundays, we focus on the Word because we need to to hear God speak to us in His Word. The people in Ezekiel's day also had access to God in this way. And in His day, God would raise up a prophet to speak for him and he would share God's truth with the people and the people were expected to respond as God commanded to that truth. But then often others would rise up and claim to speak for God and weren't really speaking for God. Can you imagine the confusion again, which is what we have today in such a case? How do people know how to distinguish truth from error? How do you discern who is truly speaking rightly? The only way is to be a student of the Lord yourself. To study him and his ways. To know his character and his heart. To be in active relationship with him. To understand what he said before versus now and so on. Let me give you an example. If someone comes along and invites you to worship an idol. This is a really silly example, but I trust it will kind of get my point across. Someone invites you, comes along and, and, and offers up some idol for you to worship. Which this may not be as far-fetched as it sounds today. Um, you know, if you're a believer and a student of the word of God, that the first and second commands given to us in the Ten Commandments, which the children recited here, this is the heart of the law, the Ten Commandments says, have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourself an idol. Immediately, immediately, you know, this is not of God. This person is not speaking for God. But this is precisely what the people were doing in Ezekiel's day. And it's happening all around us today as well. Even in the church where people are saying things explicitly against the clear teaching of the Bible. And if you don't know your Bible, if you don't walk with God, you will be misled. 
we live in confusing times. But verse 10 reminds us that even in such desperate times, God will guide his church. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. There's a lot more to say about this, but simple point I'm trying to make here at the start is even in confusing times, God will lead his church. He will lead those who truly know him, who truly seek him, who truly are students longing to know his word and his ways. And this takes us to point number two. God will care for his flock in times of scarcity. He will care for his flock in times of confusion. He will care for his flock in times of scarcity. Pastor Julius, many of y'all know Pastor Julius. He's come here a handful of times to speak to us about the work in Kenya. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm hoping to go to Kenya in June. So pray for that. I can tell you more about that offline sometime if uh, you're, you're interested in hearing more about that. But Pastor Julius um, posted a headline on Facebook recently that spoke of children. I guess this is either in his uh, community or maybe a surrounding area children that butchered a dog and ate it because they had become so desperate for food. And again, I know that it, it, that sort of situation might look different in different parts of the world, you know, where there might be other animals that would normally not be eaten, but, but are eaten because of desperate uh, situations. And if we spend a few moments, we could easily find many such other headlines if we wanted to, right? Uh, most likely. Some of you have parents or grandparents or great-grandparents who lived through the Great Depression. And perhaps some of you have heard those stories. I don't know if we have any Depression-era folks here. Maybe some of you that are really, really close, um, but none that actually maybe were alive and, you know, of, and of age to remember those things. I remember my grandmother, who's now gone to be with Jesus, talk of the Depression from time to time. But scarcity, right, rationing things pinching every single penny, rolling up every little scrap of tin foil, every little thing you could possibly save was saved. Verses 11 through 16 give us a picture of a time of scarcity as well. Using the imagery of sheep and shepherd, he says that the people are scattered in foreign lands. They don't have their own pasture to graze in. This is exactly what Ezekiel had foretold was coming. Remember some weeks ago when Ezekiel was given those action sermons on the street. You remember maybe in one of those scenarios, those have been tracking along with us, that he had to ration out his food. He could only eat certain amounts on certain days and he was laying on his side and even the little bit of food he was given to eat, he had to cook it over dung, human dung. And he was you know, trying to reenact, this is what it's going to be like, right? When, when the city of Jerusalem is sieged and it falls, it's going to be like this. Lamentations, again, if you go and read the book of Lamentations, it'll describe some of this in detail. Days following the fall of Jerusalem, days that are now here in this section of Ezekiel. Things have become very difficult. Yet God here speaks to his people, verses 13 and 14. Again, I'm not going to read the whole section, just little snippets. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. 
and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing excuse me, land and on rich pasture they shall feed. In the midst of this scarcity, in the midst of a great depression-like situation or perhaps a hundred times worse, Right In the midst of some terrible scenario, God tells his people, I'm going to take care of you. In context, he's telling the people again of Israel that he's going to take them back to their lands when the exile is over, which would about 70 years, God said, would be the time of exile. And he will restore their lands and feed them in their own pasture. In other words, this time of discipline and refining is temporary, right? It's it's temporary. God is not against his people. He's for his people. But the time of, of great and severe difficulty is necessary. But on the other side comes good things. And even in the midst of the difficulty, God will care for his people. God will care for his people. And we'll get some more details maybe here in just a moment about what that's, some of what that's going to look like. That leads to point number three. So God's going to take care of his people in confusing times. He's going to take care of his people in times of scarcity. Point number three, God will care for his flock in times of injustice. In times of injustice. This is point number three. And I see this in verses 17 through 22. What you have there is a picture of what we might call bullies within the fold of sheep. They are fat They eat more than they need. They dominate the pasture. They take the best pasture and destroy the other pasture in the process, forcing the others to eat pasture that's been trampled and to drink water that's been muddied up, right? One of the jobs of the shepherds was to protect the flock from these bullies. If some of the sheep are are not getting fed because there's a naughty bully in the pen who's gobbling up all the food in the pasture. I had chickens. I got a little small glimpse of what that looked like in my with my chickens. Right. There are dominant. There's a pecking order, as they call it. And some just get the leftovers right in the scraps. And they really even have to fight for those. Right. So in the sheep pen. Right. But if there's a naughty bully in the pen who's gobbling up all the food in the pasture, he needs to be dealt with. So that the others can feed. And this was a part of the job of the shepherds. And they had not been doing their job. So God says, I'll do it. And God had actually raised up the shepherds for this purpose. And they weren't doing that. So God says, now I'm going to do it directly, basically. Look at verses 20 through 22. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. There's a lot of injustice, and God says, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to judge, and I'm going to determine right from wrong and who gets what, basically. Once again, we see God making promises to his people that he will bring justice in a situation that is broken, broken, where some are overfed and plump while others are starving. We live in times like that, don't we? Where some have way too much 
and others have nearly nothing. I don't want to get into a talk about economics, right? That's not my expertise. But the root of it is not our system. I don't think, personally, the root is sin. The root is greed. It's the human heart, which takes advantage of whatever system it's in. Okay? That's, that's my economic theory in a nutshell, all right? But take heart. God will care for his people in times of great injustice. Okay, so we've seen during these different challenging times, God will care for his people. But maybe you're wondering how. Okay, so you've told us this and and we've seen God's promises and hopefully that does encourage your heart that God will take care of us. I hope that alone in and of itself uh, encourages your heart. But maybe you want to know a little more detail here and you want to know what this exactly is going to look like. How, O oh Lord, are you going to guide us in confusing times? How are you going to um, provide for us in scarcity? Lord, how are you going to do these things? How are you going to mete out justice in a time of injustice? In the final section of our passage, God is going to give us the answer. Maybe it's not quite like what we want, right? We want the economic strategy. We want the detailed map of what this looks like. God's going to give us something really interesting. Look at verses 23 and 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, this is quite the mysterious response or solution And there's more to it than this, but this is what we're given here at this point. And maybe you're scratching your head. Well, David lived some 500 years before this. Ezekiel, what are you talking about? How's David going to lead us? How's David going to be a prince over a people? We'll get into that in just a moment. The answer we're given here, though, is a person, right? We're not given, again, maybe what we want, We're given a person. We're not given a political or a military or an agricultural plan, though some of that has been laid out in other parts of the Old Testament and the people just weren't following it. Okay, but that's not what we're given here. We're given a person, right? We're given a a person. These are, or there are several, sorry, there are several things that we gather from this passage about this person. And as we wrap up, I just want to, Uh, say those few things for you and then that's going to lead us right into the supper here first of all we're going to see that this person will be set up and led by god right i basically the lord says will bring he will be my servant and will do my will this person has a direct connection to god secondly we see this person is a servant right Third, we see this person will be David. That is, he will be in the line of David, in the line of kings. Fourth, we see this person will be a prince. That is, reaffirming that point before, that he will be in the line of David, the line of Judah, the line of kings. Fifth, this person will dwell in their midst. He will not be a king who rules by proxy or on Zoom. Okay, He will be among them and rule among them. Any ideas about who this figure might be? Yeah, I heard it. Jesus, right? Jesus, Bible God. That's the answer. <laughs> I was joking with uh, Megan earlier that uh, y'all are 
probably in the routine and rhythm of by the end of the sermon, we're going to hear something about Jesus. Jesus is the coming one who is all of these things. In John 10, Jesus even goes as far as to call himself the good shepherd. Go read John 10. The good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he says. He's picking up on all this imagery right here. He is the true king of Israel and of all the nations. He is Emmanuel, God with us, not leading by proxy, but with us. He is the true sacrifice for sin. The true servant who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He is the true temple. It is in him that you and even Israel meet God. If you want to know God and not be led astray in times of confusion, you need to get to know Jesus. If you want to have your cup full and your deepest needs met in the midst of scarcity, you need to get to know Jesus. If you are grieved by all the injustice all around you and inside of you, you need to get to know Jesus, the one who always judges justly and who perfectly lived out God's justice and mercy on the cross of Calvary. If these things are mysterious to you or have questions about a lot of the things that have been talked about here, I'd love to speak with you after the the service about these things. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the answer to all of our deepest problems. Now, as we turn to the table, we see here a microcosm of what we've just heard. Here at this table, we see the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, for the life of the sheep. We see all of those things the people of Israel and we ourselves most deeply need provided for us. Here we have guidance during a time of confusion. Here we have provision, manna in a time of scarcity. Here we have justice in a time of injustice. And more, the weak are strengthened, the fearful given strength, the grieved comforted here at the table, all captured for us in the supper. As we turn to the table now, as we these things are in our minds, join with me in prayer. Okay, let's pray as we come to the table. Lord, we uh, moderns want um, we want maps and 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 clear diagrams that that give us all the easy, or maybe not easy, but at least straightforward plans that you have and 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 ways to. Um, solve our problems and and lord um, we know certainly you care about all the needs of the body and all of the needs of our of our flesh Um, but lord you also care um, perhaps even more deeply in some ways about um, uh, our spiritual needs and so lord um, we see in Christ, we do see one who moves us to to live in such a way that is good for our own flourishing and the flourishing of those around us, um, that that all might be fed and that all might be clothed and that all might have roof over their head and be and be comforted physically. But we also see in Christ him meeting our deepest need, which is separation from God um, Judgment for sin, mercy and forgiveness offered in the gospel. We see those deep, deep needs as well being met in Christ. 
So I pray as we come to the table, would we, as people of flesh, be fed by literal bread and juice? But also would our hearts, our souls, be fed and nourished with the spiritual meat of Christ? Feed us, nourish us, I pray, as we come to the table. And would these things be to us the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen.